our holy and righteous Father in heaven, we worship you and we say, may all praise, glory, honor, and adoration be unto you now and forevermore for all the goodness and mercy and the love that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you, Lord, for protection and guidance. We thank you for making us to be among the living. We thank you, Lord, for forgiveness of sins and for all the spiritual blessings you give to us. This morning we come to you and we ask, Father, please consecrate us to your service. Grant to us power to become sons of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. As we listen to your words today, may it be to us spirit and life. And we pray, Lord, that you will so inspire us that we may speak things that will be blessings to all who would hear us. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Our High Calling, March 26 God's Part and Mine Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does this mean? It means that every day you are to distrust your own human efforts and wisdom. You are to fear to speak at random, fear to follow your own impulses, fear that pride of heart and love of the world and lust of the flesh shall exclude the precious grace the Lord Jesus is longing to bestow upon you. Man's working, as brought out in the text, is not an independent work he performs without God. His whole dependence is upon the power and the grace of the divine worker. Many miss the mark here and claim that man must work his own individual self free from divine power. This is not in accordance with the text. Another argues that man is free from all obligation because God does it all, both the willing and the doing. The text means that the salvation of the human soul requires the will power to be subjected to the divine will power. And it is the very hardest, sternest conflict which comes with the purpose and hour of great resolve and decision of the human to incline the will and way to God's will and God's way. Man is allotted a part in this great struggle for everlasting life. He must respond to the working of the Holy Spirit. It will require a struggle to break through the powers of darkness, but the spirit that works in him can and will accomplish this. 
but man is no passive instrument to be saved in indolence. He is called upon to strain every muscle in the struggle for immortality. Yet, it is God that supplies the efficiency. Here are man's works, and here are God's works. With these two combined powers, man will be victorious and receive a crown of life at last. He puts to the stretch every spiritual nerve and muscle that he may be a successful overcomer in this work and that he may obtain the precious boon of eternal life. Amen. The title of our devotion is God's Part and Mine. But God's part and mine in what? It is God's part and mine in the development of a character that is according to the pattern Jesus Christ. The purpose of man is to bring himself back to what God's plan for him was always from the beginning. And when God created man or before he created man, he said that his plan was to make man to be in his own image and likeness. And today we find that when we are born, we have an inclination towards evil. We are not in the likeness and image of God as God would have it. And what we are to be walking towards is to reflect the character of God in our lives. Godliness, holiness, righteousness. That is the purpose for which we were created, to reflect the glory of God in getting his character. So when we are talking about God's part and mine, it refers to the part that God plays in bringing us back to his image and the part that we play in bringing ourselves back to the image of God. The work, as we have already read in the devotion, I think it was very explicit, quite clear. When God says in Philippians chapter 2, which is our key text, Philippians 2, reading verse 12 and 13, that it says there, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, we are then bidden, walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But then we are told, But it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This text can be misunderstood to mean that we don't have anything to do since it is God who is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Or it can also be understood, misunderstood to mean since we are told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, we are the one to do all the work and God has no part to play. But the text makes two things clear. We have a part to play and God has a part to play. Because the first instruction there is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That tells us our part. Then later it tells us God is actually working in us. That tells us that while we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, God has a part to play. But the thing is that it is important that we understand what our part is and what God's part is. Even if we are working out our salvation, if we cherish the thought that every work is dependent on us, we will not be able to achieve what we are supposed to achieve because the part that God has to play, he doesn't just play it without our knowledge or without us acknowledging it or asking for it. 
Because if you don't know God's part, how will you ask him to do it? You have to understand that God has a part so that when you are working out your own salvation, you allow and request for God to do his part. And at the same time, if you misunderstand it to mean that God only works, you would relax. While God may do his part, it will not or we will not achieve what we are supposed to achieve because our own part was left undone. So how does this work out in real time? What is our part and what is God's part? As we have already read, man is always dependent on God. Jesus said in John 15, reading from verse 1 down, he explained how he is the vine, we are the branches. And he made a very clear statement there that we are to abide in him. That's what he says. As the, as, as, as the branch cannot bear fruit except it abides in the vine, he says, no more can ye except ye abide in me. No matter what we work out, we cannot bear any fruit except we abide in Christ. And he concludes by saying, For without me, ye can do nothing, nada, zilch. We cannot achieve anything without Christ. So we must realize that our dependence is always on God. While we are walking, we, our walking is not independent of God's walking. It is dependent on God's walking. Because Jesus made that very clear statement, Without me, ye can work, do nothing. So we are to receive strength from God. We are to receive power from Him. And whatever we receive from Him is what we use to work. We can do something. Jesus expects us to do something. But He wants us to understand that that thing we are supposed to do to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we cannot do it without Him. We must be connected to Him if we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But that does not mean that He is going to work everything. So what does God do? God has a part He plays and then we have a part that we play. God gives to us power, but it is us who is to exercise that power. He's not going to exercise the power for us. Here, we read in the devotion, in uh, par 91, page 91, paragraph 4 of our high calling, man is allotted a part in this great struggle for everlasting life. And what is our part? He must respond to the working of the Holy Spirit. That is our part now. To respond to the working of the Holy Spirit. Is it Jesus that will respond for me? Is it Jesus that will respond for you? Of course not. God does his part through the Spirit. Remember? John 1 verse 12, as many as received him to them, he gave power to become sons of God. Acts 1 verse 8, for ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you. So how does God want to give us power when we have received him? To receive Christ is to receive the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, it says we receive power. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He, he reminds us of the word of God. The Bible, Jesus said, he will bring to our remembrance all the things that God has said. He will direct us. He will show us things to come. He will convict us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. It is now for us to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. That is man's part. Responding to the work of the Holy Spirit. But we are told... It will require a struggle to break through the powers of darkness. But the spirit that works in him can and will accomplish this. But man is no passive instrument to be saved in indolence. He is called upon to strain every muscle in the struggle for immortality. Yet it is God that supplies the efficiency. Now that's what we are going to talk about. God supplies. 
Now we are to receive his supplies and use it to work. What is it that God supplies to us that we use to work to form that right character? I'll go to the previous paragraph, page 91, paragraph 3. It says, Man's working, as brought out in the text, is not an independent work he performs without God. His whole dependence is upon the power and grace of the divine worker. Many miss the mark here and claim that man must work his own individual self free from divine power. This is not, accord- this is not in accordance with the text. Another argues that man is free from all obligation because God does it all, both the willing and the doing. Now, hear the meaning of the text. The text means that the salvation of the human soul requires the will power to be subjected to the divine will power. And it is the very hardest, sternest conflict which comes with the purpose and hour of great resolve and decision of the human to incline the will and way to God's will and God's way. So what does God supply to us that we can use to overcome? He supplies to us the faculties of the mind, of which the chief of them that finally decides character is the will power. God supplies all the faculties and this is what he does for us, giving us the faculties now for us to use the faculties, especially the will power, to work out for ourselves our salvation. And what are we supposed to do with the will power? We are supposed to subject it to God's will and God's way. We are supposed to allow our will to submit to God's will and God's way. But let me go now to understand what it means when we are told that God supplies the faculties. Now, I'll be reading from Testimonies, Volume 4, page 606, paragraph 2. It says, Every faculty in man is a workman that is building for time and for eternity. I'll just stop here. Let me remind us what the faculties are. The faculties are our perception, our reasoning powers, our conscience or seat of judgment that tells us right and wrong, then we have our intuition, and we also have our memory, and our imagination, and our willpower. These seven are the faculties of the mind. The will is the decider. All others are influencing the will to make the will to make a choice, whether good or bad. But the choice the will makes is highly dependent on how the other faculties are. If the faculties, all these other faculties are good, and the will is not good, it will be difficult for them to influence the will to make the right decision. And if they are bad and the will is good, they will influence the will in the wrong direction also. So all the faculties need to be balanced if we must have a balanced character. Let me just read that. Let me continue from where I stopped. Uh, Testimonies, Volume 4, page 606. I'm reading from paragraph 2. Every faculty in man is a workman that is building for time and for eternity. Day by day, the structure is going up, although the possessor is not aware of it. It is a building which must stand either as a beacon of warning because of its deformity or as a structure which God and angels will admire for its harmony with the divine model. The mental and moral powers which God has given us do not constitute character. Take note. Who gave us the mental and moral powers? God. But yet, they are not character. I'll continue the reading now. It says, They are talents which we are to improve and which, if properly improved, will form a right 
character. A man may have precious seed in his hand, but that seed is not an orchard. The seed must be planted before it can become a tree. The mind is the garden. The character is the fruit. God has given us our faculties to cultivate and develop. Our own course determines our character. In training these powers so that they shall harmonize and form a valuable character, we have a work which no one but ourselves can do. End of quote. So, God supplies, like we read in our devotion, God supplies the efficiency. And what is this efficiency he supplies? It is the faculties of the mind, the mental and moral powers. But after he has done that, it is now us. He says no one can do this work for us. Only us can do the work of training our faculties. These are our powers that has been given to us by God. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. If we allow the Holy Spirit to influence these our powers, which are our mental and moral faculties, which I have already listed out, if we allow the Holy Spirit to mold them, then we are determining our character in the right direction. We are told, now I read this last part again, in training these powers so that they shall harmonize and form a valuable character, we have a work which no one but ourselves can do. So God has his own work. He has supplied to us the faculties of the mind and then he gives to us the Holy Spirit to influence but not to force, to influence, to suggest, to direct. But it is left for us to choose whether we will yield our will to God's will and God's way which is directing us through the Holy Spirit. It is left for us to allow these powers, the reasoning, the conscience, the perception, intuition, imagination, memory, and the willpower, it is left for us to subject them to the Holy Spirit's influence, to use them to build the right character. So you see God's God's will and our will, God's part and our part. Our part is to use the faculties that God has given to us to submit them to him. But that work, remember, as we read now, no one can do it for us. Only we can do it for ourselves. Another way I want to make us understand God's part and our part is to show us what it means when we say the faith that works. Faith has works. In the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God shows to us that we have a part to play if we must grow. You know, when Daniel and his three friends were taken to the Babylonian court and taken to the school of Babylon, they made decisions that determined their future. They didn't leave it to chance. Let me read now from Prophets and Kings. The book Prophets and Kings, I'll be reading page 507 through to 508. It says, sorry, page 486 is where I'm reading, page 486. It says, in acquiring the wisdom of the Babylonians, Daniel and his companions were far more successful than their fellow students. But their learning did not come by chance. They obtained their knowledge by the faithful use of their power. I take that again so that you link it to the previous thing I read. It says, they obtained their knowledge by the faithful use of their powers under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, end of quote. So do you see what we are talking about here? 
the powers given to us by God, which are our mental and moral faculties, we must exercise them and use them to obtain what God wants us to obtain, the knowledge of God, but under the guidance, not the force. The Holy Spirit does not force. Guidance. It is left for us to submit. Somebody who is guiding you, you still have your choice to listen to the person or not. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I'll continue the reading now. It says, They placed themselves in connection with the source of all wisdom, making the knowledge of God the foundation of their education. In faith, they prayed for wisdom, and they lived their prayers. They placed themselves where God could bless them. They avoided that which would weaken their powers and improved every opportunity to become intelligent in all lines of learning. They followed the rules of life that could not fail to give them strength of intellect. They sought to acquire knowledge for one purpose that they might honor God. They realized that in order to stand as representatives of true religion amid the false religions of hedonism, they must have clearness of intellect and must perfect a Christian character. And God himself was their teacher. Now look at their work here. Constant praying. Conscientiously studying. Keeping in touch with the unseen, they walked, they walked with God as did Enoch. We have already seen other works that they did before, which is the choice they made in their diets. They didn't try to weaken their powers or their intellect. The choice of food that they made was part of what helped them. I continue the reading now. It says, listen now. True success in any line of work is not the result of chance or accident or destiny. It is the outworking of God's providences, the reward of faith and discretion, of virtue and perseverance, fine mental qualities, and a high moral tone are not the result of accident. God gives opportunities. Success depends upon the use made of them. While God was working in Daniel and his companions to will and to do of his good pleasure, they were working out their own salvation. Philippians 2 verse 13. Herein is revealed the outworking of the divine principle of cooperation, without which no true success can be attained. Human effort avails nothing without divine power, and without human endeavor, divine effort is with many of no avail. To make God's grace our own, we must act our part. His grace is given to work in us, to will and to do, but never as a substitute for our effort." End of quote. So that, I think, clearly states what we are talking about here. The cooperation between the human and the divine. We are to do all we can while God also supplies the grace. Another example is in the battles of Joshua. In almost every battle in the Word of God, you find out that whenever people are going for battles, though God says, I'll give them the victory, they don't just relax. They still make plans and go to fight the battle. One of the greatest battles ever fought in the Word of God was that which Joshua fought. Joshua, have you read his story and the battles Joshua fought? They were no small battles. The battles of Joshua represent the battles, spiritual battles, that we in the last days will have to fight before we enter Canaan. The battles of Joshua have spiritual lessons for all of us, telling us the last battle that will be fought, like the battle at Megiddo, the battles that Joshua fought, 
before we enter into Cana. There was this battle he fought when the Gibeonites had come to deceive the Israelites and told them that they were wayfaring men. And they had deceived Joshua and made him make a league with them that he will not destroy them. When Joshua later realized it, he was not happy. Nevertheless, the Gibeonites had already made the league and Joshua couldn't do anything about it. They were given they were given a life of servitude nevertheless. When the Gibeonites returned to their land, the other kings which heard what the Gibeonites did in making a league with Israel were angry with the Gibeonites. And that day they gathered together, I think like five of these kings, mighty men, strong men, decided that they are going to destroy Gibeon. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua and the Israelites, telling them, We are in distress. They have decided to come and destroy us. Now, let me read what happened after them, what Joshua did. By the way, it was this battle that led to Joshua talking, saying that the sun should stand still, to tell you it was no small battle. I'll read now, Patriarchs and Prophets. I'm reading from page 507 downwards. It says the submission of the of Gibeon to the Israelites filled the kings of Canaan with dismay. Steps were at once taken to have to revenge upon those who had made peace with the invaders under the leadership of Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem. Five of the Canaanite kings entered into a confederacy against Gibeon. Their movements were rapid. The Gibeonites were unprepared for defense, and they sent a message to Joshua at Gilgal. And here was their message, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. The danger threatened not the people of Gibeon alone, but also Israel. This city commanded the passes to central and southern Palestine. And it must be held if the country was to be conquered. Joshua prepared to go at once to the relief of Gibeon. The inhabitants of the besieged city had feared that he would reject the appeal because of the fraud which they had practiced. But since they had submitted to the control of Israel and had accepted the worship of God, he felt himself under obligation to protect them. He did not this time move without divine counsel. And the Lord encouraged him in the undertaking. Here is what God told Joshua. Fear them not, was the divine message, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. So, I'll stop here. God gave Joshua a message. Take note. God has said, I will do the work. None of them will stand before you. I'll continue the reading now. It says, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor, by marching all night. He brought his forces before Gibeon in the morning. Scarcely had the confederate princes mustered their armies about the city when Joshua was upon them. The attack resulted in the utter discomfiture of the assailants. The immense host fled before Joshua upon the mountain pass to Beth Horon, and having gained the height, they rushed down the precipitous descent upon the other side. Here, a fierce hailstorm burst upon them. The Lord cast down great stones from heaven. They were much more, they were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. 
While the Amorites were continuing their headlong flight, intent on finding refuge in the mountain, strongholds, Joshua looking down from the ridge above, saw that the day would be too short for the accomplishment of his work. If not fully routed, their enemies would again rally and renew the struggle. Then spake Joshua to the Lord, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. The sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. Amen. Now I want to pick out some important lessons from this Joshua story before I continue the reading. Joshua had received the word from God, I am going to destroy these people. So what was the point in all the rush? When God has told him, I will destroy them, yet he left that night and traveled all night and made sure that he got to Gibeon by morning time to the extent that when he got there, the princes, the five princes of Jerusalem and so and co that wanted to destroy Gibeon were not even ready for the battle. They were still gathering themselves when Joshua had already arrived and started to fight them. Wow. I thought God said he was going to destroy them. Why did Joshua take all those measures? Was he not did he not trust that God will do what he said he would do? Why the rush? And then finally, what happened? While fighting, you see something different. God walked and Joshua walked. God sent hailstones and the Bible tells us that those who were destroyed by the hailstones were more than those who Joshua and his army destroyed. God is walking and Joshua is walking. Now let me read the lesson we should learn from this. Now Patriarchs and Prophets, page 509, paragraph 1. The Spirit of God inspired Joshua's prayer that evidence might again be given of the power of Israel's God. Hence, the request did not show presumption on the part of the great leader. Joshua had received the promise that God would surely overthrow these enemies of Israel. Yet, he put forth as earnest efforts as though success depended upon the armies of Israel alone. He did all that human energy could do and then he cried in faith for divine aid. The secret of success is the union of divine power with human effort. Those who achieve the greatest results are those who rely most implicitly upon the almighty arm. The man who commanded son, stand thou still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon is the man who for hours lay prostrate upon the earth in prayer in the camp of Gilgal. Amen. You see here that that man of prayer, depending on God, was also a man of great effort to the point that he wanted to fight to the end of that day. He understood that even though the, 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 the battle was dependent on God, he had a role to play. He planned his battle. He still had tactics. He used all his energies to the last drop. And after doing that, depended on God. What is the principle? Joshua fought as though the success of that battle depended on his effort, but prayed as though the success of the battle depended on God. This is what it means to walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. To walk with so much effort as though you think that the, F, the, the, the success depends on you, 
but to also pray and depend on God as though all the success depended on God. I pray that God will set this home to our hearts. Let us know what our duty is. Perform it to the highest extent that you can. Develop all your powers and use them to the greatest that you can, your faculties of your mind. That is what you use to fight now. Because this battle of Joshua is the last battle that we fight against temptation and sin. We are to understand that before we enter Canaan, we must fight as Joshua fought. We must use all our energies as though success depended on our energies. And we must depend on God praying all night, praying for, to God as though success depended on God. May God teach us how to do this, is my prayer. Amen. Okay, just to continue on the thoughts, the text says, Walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Walk out. In, in recent years, exercise is becoming very popular. My grandma never went into a gym. Today, a large class of people register with fitness clubs or gymnasiums. They say they are working out. Let's go and do some workouts. Why is this so? Some women, they want to lose weight. They want to stay in shape, have flat tummies. So they concentrate on some muscles like the erectus abdominis. So they do sit-ups. And in two weeks, they find it very hard. They begin to drag themselves to the gym. And it becomes on and off. Finally, they quit waiting for next January to restart. While some men, they want bigger arms and broad chest, so they do work out on some muscles like the deltoids and the trapezius, biceps and triceps. They do bench presses, press-ups, pullovers, and power ropes. God has provided a gymnasium for us. That's his part as a father. Our part is to show up for workouts. We must walk out spiritually. God is walking in, I will be walking out. God is my fitness coach, our exercise instructor. He teaches us how to stretch every spiritual nerve and muscle. To start, friends, is very easy. To persevere to the end, that's the real issue. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Whereof for seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Say, let us lay aside every weight of sin. Lay off every weight. We must lose weight. The single-hearted purpose that should characterize the Christian's race for eternal life Envy, malice, evil thinking, evil speaking, covetousness. These are weights 
that the Christian must lay aside if he will run successfully the race for immortality. Every habit or practice that leads into sin and brings dishonor upon Christ must be put away, whatever the sacrifice. The blessings of heaven cannot attain any man in violating the eternal principles of right. One sin cherished is sufficient to walk the gradation of character and to mislead others. We are called to stretch every muscle. So how often are we to do this? The reading says every day. It means that every day you are to distrust your own human efforts and wisdom. You are to fear to speak at random, fear to follow your own impulses, fear that pride of heart and love of the world and lust of the flesh shall exclude the precious grace the Lord is Jesus is longing to bestow upon you. My part in this great struggle to gain eternal life is that I must respond to the walking of the Holy Spirit. He that had ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. What is the Spirit saying to us today? Cooperate with God. If you have complied with the conditions, believe God, whether or not you feel any difference. Christ declared, As the Father gave me commandments, even so do I. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John chapter 14 verse 31 and 15 verse 10. Let all who understand the abiding claims of the law of God yield implicit obedience to every requirement given in the word. The convictions of the Holy Spirit are warnings which it is dangerous to disregard. Christ declares that those who do his words are like a man who built his house upon a rock. This house the tempest and the flood could not sweep away. Those who do not do Christ's word are like the man who built his house upon the sand. Storm and tempest beat upon that house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It was an entire wreck. The result of professing to keep the law of God yet walking contrary to the principles of that law is seen in the wrecked house. Those who make a profession while failing to obey cannot stand the storm of temptation. One act of disobedience weakens the power to see the sinfulness of the second act. One little disregard of a thought say the Lord is sufficient to stop the promised blessings of the Holy Spirit. By disobedience the light one so precious becomes obscure. Satan takes charge of the mind and soul, and God is greatly dishonored. Remember, who that honors the Lord, God says, I will honor. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19 and 20. Friends, these words are true. Exact obedience is required. 
and those who say that it is not possible to live a perfect life throw upon God the imputation of injustice and untruth. Candidly and seriously, we are to consider the question, have we humbled ourselves before God, that this Holy Spirit may walk through us with transforming power? As children of God, it is our privilege to be walked by His Spirit when self is crucified, the Holy Spirit takes the broken-hearted ones and makes them vessels unto honor. They are in his hands as clay in the hands of the potter. Jesus Christ will make such men and women superior in mental, physical, and moral power. The graces of the Spirit will give solidity to the character they will exert an influence for good because Christ is abiding in the soul. The great day of the Lord is right upon us and God calls for messengers who will be walked by the Holy Spirit who will not want to walk the Spirit. Such messengers will be guided by the Spirit, molded, refined, beautified in righteousness because they are willing to be walked. But those who are satisfied to carry with them a vast amount of selfishness, fault-finding, suspicion, distrust, and strife, will be so deceived that they will not know their shortcomings. It will require a struggle to break through the powers of darkness, but the spirit that walks in him, that is me now, can and will accomplish this. But man is no passive instrument to be saved in indolence. No man will be told to heaven. He is called upon to strain every muscle in the struggle for immortality. Yet it is God that supplies the efficiency. You see, picture God as a coach. He gives a general exams and he comes right into your home again and says, bring out the notebook bring out the assignment let me dictate again for you it's like he's helping us all the way here are man's work and here are god's work with these two combined powers man will be victorious and receive a crown of life at last he puts to the stretch every spiritual nerve and muscle that he may be a successful overcomer in this work it means that the salvation of the human soul requires the willpower to be subjected to the divine willpower. So, it's surrender. And everything God created in nature surrenders to God, only the heart of man. So, if I surrender my will to the will of the Lord, that He will use the faculties like our brother have said and purify and enable them then I'll begin to walk in right lines or bring my life under equilibrium under the power of God so that the almighty God will be revealed through the character and as God is walking in my prayer is that he helps me and everybody else who's listening to walk out our, our own salvation with fear and trembling Amen. Christ Object Lessons 
page 161 paragraph 1 work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure god does not bid you to fear that he will fail to fulfill his promises that his patience will weary or his compassion be found wanting fear lest your will shall not be held in subjection to god's will lest your hereditary and cultivated traits of character shall control your life it is god which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure fear lest shall inter fear lest self shall interpose between your soul and the great master worker fear lest self-will shall mar the high purpose that through you god desires to accomplish fear to trust to your own strength fear to withdraw your hand from the hand of christ and attempt to walk life's pathway without his abiding presence also from testimonies volume 9 page 152 paragraph 1 christ is our example our inspiration our exceeding great reward ye are god's husbandry ye are god's building first corinthians 3 verse 9 god is the master builder but man has a part to act he is to cooperate with god we are laborers together with God. Never forget the words together with God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The miracle working power of Christ's grace is revealed in the creation in man of a new heart, a life, a higher life a holier enthusiasm god says a new heart also will i give you is not this the renewal of man the greatest miracle that can be performed what cannot the human agent do who by faith takes hold of the divine power this in these two passages read here it it gives us a clear ex, uh, understanding that it is not God that has the issue here. It is us. God has made every provision. His promises will never fail. As the Bible says, Yes, He is there to walk with us. God which walketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is God who does that. But the only thing we are to fear here is ourselves. It's if we are willing to take up the will of God, to drop our own ways, to drop our own will, and submit ourselves to God's own will and God's own way. That is the only problem which we have to solve. Every other thing, God has made provision for whether at the temptations that come to us the besetting sin he has made provision that we can overcome them all he wants us to do is take that decision of submitting our whole life to him and the one who created the heavens and the earth 
is also able to create a new heart in us you know many at times yes everyone wants the, the glimpse of glory but it seems as if there are many things which they are they refuse or they are not willing to give up let me just read it from thoughts of the mount of blessings page 143 paragraph 1 and 2 it reads but many are attracted by the beauty of christ and the glory of heaven who yet shrink from the conditions by which alone these can become their own the only hope for us if we would overcome is to unite our will to god's will and walk in cooperation with him hour by hour and day by day we cannot retain self and yet enter the kingdom of god if we ever attain unto holiness it will be through the renunciation of self and the reception of the mind of christ pride and self-sufficiency must be crucified are we willing to pay the price required of us are we willing to have our will brought into perfect conformity to the will of god until we are willing the transforming grace of god cannot be manifested upon us amen we can see here it's very clear one thing is required from us submit our will to the will of god and when we do that the power which is able to create the whole universe is able to create a new heart in us is able to to remove every stain of uh, defect every hereditary tendencies everything that doesn't glorify him he will be able to do that that is why it is said we are co-laborers with god so while we do our part god does his part and our part is simple by submitting our will to his will and every other thing he will take over so i pray god helps us that we make that decision to submit our will to him so that we may glorify him in everything and at the end also partake of the eternal glory which awaits everyone who is faithful may god help us in jesus name amen let us pray our father and our god blessed be your holy name we thank you lord for your word today we see our walk and we see that time is short and we have a great work to do. Oh Lord, help us to walk out our own salvation. We fear and trembling. We know you've done your part and you're helping us every day in walking in. Help us surrender to the influences of the Spirit. May we hear what the Spirit is saying and go on and do them by thy power. Help us rely and depend upon you for strength day by day. This is our prayer to Christ our Lord. Amen.